0: Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel Podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you or on your phone or if you're good at listening, I invite you to listen to some words from Job chapter 28, which is going to launch us into this new spring series. Um, if you are familiar with the book of Job, um, you will know that it is a difficult book. Job is afflicted first when catastrophe hits his family, and then he's afflicted when catastrophe hits his body. And we know because the narrator has told us that it's about a conversation that's going on between God and the devil. The devil has made an accusation that God has created a flawed world. Why? Because human beings only love God when he gives them good things. Were God to take away the good things, human beings wouldn't love him anymore. And God says, oh yeah? Have you seen my servant Job? And then Job's friends make it worse because they say, well, Job, the reason you are suffering is not, as we know, because we've been told, is not because the world is a mysterious place, but rather because you have done something wrong. They have in philosophical terms what's called a eudaimonistic, there's your 25 cent word for the day, view of the universe which says if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. It's a tit-for-tat kind of universe. Therefore, Job, because you're experiencing bad, you must have done bad. And then at the heart and center of the book is what's called an interlude in chapter 28 which is going to explore the concept of wisdom, which is what we're going to be doing this entire series. So I can't read the whole thing just due to time limitations as usual. I do encourage you to read all of Job chapter 28 later on today and your devotions at some point. But beloved, listen to these words. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth Copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft. In places untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below us by fire. Lapis luzi comes from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not in me. Where does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. Yet, God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. And God said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To shun evil, that is understanding. The word of the Lord Thanks be to God. I had a friend when I was four or five years old. His name was Dave. I went to his house one Sunday after church. I had taken off my shoes, and he thought it would be funny to pee in my shoes. And that's exactly what he did. I went to his mother with my shoes in hand, the puddle still inside, and crying. And she gave me some Kleenex and said, you better pour that out and wipe it up because we have church service tonight, and you'll be wearing those shoes. I still remember the feeling of wet socks throughout that hour-long service. I should have given up on my friendship with Dave, but a few days later, or weeks later, I was with him once again, and he thought it would be fun to climb his apple tree. That was fun. Then he thought it would be fun to start throwing apples at oncoming traffic, which was also fun until we hit not a car, but a motorcycle, a motorcyclist, more specifically, right in the head, corked him with an apple, and he screeched to a halt and came to the bottom of the tree and taught us some new vocabulary. Let's just put it that way. Foolish. In Second Kings chapter two, a bunch of young men think it's going to be a good idea to call the prophet Elisha by some bad names. They called him Baldy. They called him Baldhead. He calls a curse down on them. Two she bears run out of the trees and maul these boys wasn't such a good idea after all. The point that I'm trying to make here, friends, very, very simply, is that there are things that we human beings can do in our lives and in this world that are positively foolish, that are stupid, that bring harm to ourselves and bring harm to others and bring harm to God's good world. And that is why for the next 12 weeks, I and the other excellent roster of speakers I have coming here for chapel... We are going to talk about wisdom for living out of scripture. Truths that transform. It is why today I am going to offer a ridiculously simple message from the front here, which is this. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. I want to implore you to do this one thing and to do it above all other things for the rest of your life. To get wisdom. That is, in essence, the entirety of the message today. I want to implore you, whatever else you do, however you spend your time, don't spend your time on trivialities. Spend your time getting wisdom. And you'll say, well, what exactly does it mean to get wisdom? And to put it in the broadest possible terms, to get wisdom is to gain the key to flourishing flourishing for yourself and flourishing for other people. You see, because according to Scripture, this world was created in a certain way, if you will, it has a grain to it. And to have wisdom is to learn to live within the grain of the universe. This world, if you want a different metaphor, has a screw to it. And you've got to go along with that if you're going to get anywhere in a good sense and avoid misery. Dwayne Garrett, an Old Testament scholar, says that there are three types or three levels of wisdom in scripture that will lead to human flourishing. And all I'd like to do for my remaining time is to talk to you about these three levels of wisdom, these three types of wisdom in scripture, and encourage you to get it. Okay? So three levels of wisdom. Level number one. This is the wisdom that will give you the knowledge about how to do things. How to do things. Level one wisdom is simply knowing how to do things in a way that's hopefully, if you use it right, gonna bring about flourishing. It's the kind of wisdom that we see in Job chapter 28. Human beings have gained the knowledge of how to go down into the earth and to pull out gold and iron and ore and silver and lapis lazuli to make the world beautiful and to use these things to make other things hopefully, to make life better. Level one wisdom is, at least in the first instance, precisely why you students are here at Trinity Western University, so that you can learn how to do mathematics, how to nurse, how to read, how to write, and on and on and on. It is a good thing to have level one wisdom. You can definitely avoid misery and harm. I wish I had a little bit more level one wisdom when I was trying to do electricity in my house, changing a light switch. I had successfully taken it out, and I'd put a new light switch in with a beautiful little dimmer, but apparently I got the wires crossed, and so when my wife was downstairs and said, turn it on, sweetheart, she turned it on, and there was boom and black smoke. I could have burned the house down. Oh, if only I had a little more level one wisdom. Level one wisdom is good. You can bring about good in the world. In fact, you could save somebody's life. Think about the doctor who knows how to intubate a patient. Think about the person who knows how to do CPR. Think about the farmer who knows how to dig down into a desert or arid area to find a well, to irrigate the ground, to make the food, to feed the people, to save lives. So I want to say to you, level one wisdom is good. Do everything you can to get level one wisdom and use it for the good of the world and the glory of God. But don't stop there. Go to level two wisdom, a little deeper down. If level one wisdom is the knowledge of knowing how to do things, level two wisdom, according to scripture, is knowing how to live well relationally. The book of Proverbs is chock full with level two wisdom, as are the Psalms, as are the narrative portions in scripture. This is the kind of wisdom that's gonna tell those of you who are looking for a spouse not to marry a person who is chronically lazy because your house will come to ruin. The dishes will never get done. The grass will never be mowed. You'll be constantly frustrated and worst case scenario, the bills will never get paid. Rather, find somebody who is industrious and who is capable of working hard. Level two wisdom will tell those of you, again, who are looking for a spouse to find somebody who has got a heart of gratitude, who has trained themselves to be thankful even in difficult circumstances, and instead stay away from somebody who's chronically bitter and resentful because you will constantly be listening to complaining and bickering, and you'll end up on the roof with your hands on your head pulling out your hair. You don't want to do that. Level two wisdom will teach you what to say. It will teach you that your tongue is indeed one of the most powerful members on God's green earth. It can bring life to people. Your words can bring life or your words can bring death. It will teach you not only what to say, but more specifically, it will teach you how to say it. Some of our problem is not that we don't know what to say. It's that we don't know how to say it. And every time it's got an edge, it's got a barb, it's got some way of getting under another person's skin. Oh, if only we would remember a soft answer turns away wrath. Yes, if we learn level two wisdom, we could do so much good in this world and thrive and flourish in our relationships. I wish I had a little more level two wisdom when I was a young pastor in Webster, New York. I had preached a very impassioned sermon I had mentioned death a couple of times in my sermon, not least of all in reference to Jesus. After the service, somebody, a man who had lost his son two years earlier, came up to me. He was grieved. He got me into a corner in a separate room and he started berating me. If only in that moment I had listened and known and inhabited Psalm 73 verse 21, which says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant like a brute beast before you. If I understood that that was what was going on in his heart, maybe I wouldn't have been reactive, but maybe I would have in that moment been able to minister to his point of need, to his pain. But I wasn't because I lacked wisdom And so I damaged that relationship for good because I reacted so poorly to a grieved heart. I want to say to you, if you want flourishing relationships, then get level two wisdom. Do whatever you can to get it, knowing how to live well relationally. But then finally, as my time draws down, I want to say to you, don't only know how to do things. And seek to know how to do things. Don't only seek to know how to live well relationally, but also get level three wisdom, which is this, to know how to deal with mystery. You see, level one wisdom and level two wisdom can be gained by observation of the created universe. By watching the accumulation of human experience, we figure out what works and what doesn't work via trial and error both as we seek to learn how to mine and then as we seek to learn how to relate well to others. Our ancestors in the human population have learned these things through time. It's an accumulation of wisdom. It's by observation. But there is a wisdom you cannot learn by human observation. And they are the deepest, they are the most profound, and they are the most important. Think about it. Why is it that different religions in the world all have different answers to some of the most foundational questions you can ask? Who are you? Where are you? What's the problem with this world? What's the solution? What is the answer to the problem of evil and suffering that Job is going through? This is actually what Job 28 is dealing with. How do we get that kind of wisdom? How do we get answers to those kinds of questions, right? So you have a profile of level two wisdom, and then the author says, where is wisdom to be found? He's talking about this. Where do we get the answers to life's deepest questions? Where does Job get a voice? And this is where the author says, it's not in the deep. The darkness knows nothing of it. It's not in the human realm. Birds haven't heard of it. But God knows where this wisdom dwells because God sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. As Bruce Walkey, who's going to be one of our speakers here at chapel says, you cannot know absolutely unless you see comprehensively. In other words, unless you see the whole picture, you can't be absolutely certain of any part of the picture. And this is where we humans find ourselves. So where do we indeed learn how to deal with this wisdom? or learn how to deal with this mystery rather, and gain this wisdom. God knows where it dwells. And so friends, the answer really is that if you want to deal with the mystery that you find yourself in, in this life is when you don't yet have the answers is to trust the living God that while you don't know, he does know. In the same sort of way that a dog will never understand a Beethoven symphony or be able to play it on the piano, so too there are things that happen in this life that we simply can't understand. As a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times I sat across from people and said, I I don't know. I don't know why this is happening to you. I wish I could tell you, I don't know. But do I believe that God is trustworthy? Yes, I do. Why? Well, because he hasn't been silent. He has spoken into the mystery of life. Who are you? You are an image bearer of God with inalienable dignity that none can take away. You are the beloved of the high king of heaven. Where are you? You are in a world that has been created magnificently and it was originally created so good. Matter is good. Physicality is good. What's wrong with the world? At the center of what's wrong is human beings rebelled against their creator wanting to be their own gods, wanting to say, I will do what I want to do and not live in accord with the way that you have created things. And what's the solution? The solution isn't in me. It's not in you. Ultimately, scripture says the solution is in God inhabiting human flesh, becoming one of us. It's in Jesus Christ, whom scripture calls the very wisdom of God. Why is he the wisdom of God? Not only because he was there in the beginning with the word as God, In whom all things were created, and through him, through whom all things are held together, but also because he is the one who has dealt with Job's fundamental problem the problem of evil and suffering. Not by giving us a philosophical answer to the problem of evil and suffering. No, we need something deeper than a philosophical answer, we need an actual answer. And that's what God has done on the canvas of history. He's done something about that problem by taking evil and taking suffering upon himself in order to take it out of circulation. He's taken what's ours and our inheritance in order to give us his inheritance. This is the gospel. And so don't only get level one wisdom. Don't only get level two wisdom, but get level three wisdom, which is ultimately the person of Jesus Christ himself speaking into this world, into the present shadow lands we find ourselves in. Hold on in faith. He is coming soon. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.